Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way. And then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place. Um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message entitled Insufficient Love was given by Bill Dogtrum and is the third in our series, The Seven Deadly Sins. We're uh, in the uh, Lenten season, which for the church is a season of chosen dormancy, ready for the seed that has been sown to flourish. It's a season of us, uh, for those of you who maybe have a Catholic background uh, or in a mainline uh, church structure that use Lent um, to kind of clear the decks, to kind of set aside uh, possible distractions so that we can um, really move with intentionality towards a Good Friday, um, which for years in the church was called Black Friday, the day in which the sun was darkened uh, as Jesus hung on the cross and died. Um, We want to celebrate Easter Sunday. And Darren and our team is uh, preparing a a fabulous celebration of resurrection. But you may notice that a precondition for resurrection is crucifixion. You can't be raised from the dead unless you, in fact, are 
dead. Uh, so what Lent does is invite us to not just prepare to connect with the resurrection life of Christ, but to prepare and connect with the crucified life of Christ. That, that both elements are critical. And we want, at least if I'm typical at all, and I think in this I probably am, we want to move as quickly as we can to the celebration, to Resurrection Sunday. Um, but in order to get there, we have to go through Crucifixion Friday. And so that's what we're going to just take some time to do uh, in, in, this, uh, in, in this season uh, of Lent, just to take a slow walk, like we did in Advent, if you were with us uh, in the fall and heading into Christmas. We don't want to rush too quickly to incarnation. We want to take some time and prepare our hearts to receive the gift of God given as His Son. Similarly, uh, as we um, move towards Easter Sunday, we want to take some time and prepare our hearts so that, so that we don't just kind of increase momentum and blast through Friday on the way to Sunday and then into Monday without any awareness of what just happened there. The world has turned on its hinges. It is a new place as a result of what has happened over this long weekend. So that's what we're up to. Um, and so part of the way that we have chosen to do that here at the Garden is to take some time and think through what uh, church has traditionally called the seven deadly sins, codified uh, about uh, 1,500 years ago as a way of kind of capturing how we blow ourselves up, how we self-sabotage. They are formulated by uh, Pope Gregory, uh, who was, in John Calvin's words, the last great pope, uh, a, a spiritual director, a pastor's pastor, and, and he noticed in his care for people that they tended to disable themselves, to, to blow themselves up, that's my language obviously, uh, to self-sabotage in seven primary ways. Um, he noticed that because we are built to be the image of God, Genesis chapter 1, we are built to be God's representatives on the planet, we are built to serve as his emissaries, as his ambassadors, that's what we're here for. Um, that we ought not be surprised then to discover that, the, that we are created to be loved and to love. And that these seven deadly sins then are ways that love gets disordered. That it becomes chaotic and, 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 and malformed and dysfunctional. So last time we talked about the ways that love gets perverted, the ways that love gets tweaked under the categories of... Um, of anger uh, and, and envy and uh, pride. Um, today we're going to talk about the way that love gets, what happens when there's just not enough love, when it's insufficient, when it's inadequate for life as it, as it is. And the reason we're going to spend a whole Sunday on this one, um, next week we're going to talk about the, the final remaining three of the seven. We're going to talk about, um, uh, about greed and gluttony and lust, the, the, the top three sellers on the New York Times uh, bestseller list. Um, so so we're, we'll talk about that. But today we're going to talk about uh, the postmodern sin, which is the sin of whatever. The sin of sloth. I love saying that word. Say it with me. Sloth. Oh, doesn't that just roll off your tongue? There's a, there's a whole animal species devoted to this sin, right? 
Uh, they, just, they, they just literally hang around all day waiting for food to drop into their mouth. It's a wonderful sin that we just love so much. You know, there's a professional society of the slothful. Not really, but uh, <laughs> there should be, don't you think? Don't you think? How many just like to slime? Now, now, now nobody's going to sloth. Oh, that's just, that, oh, lazy. Uh, no, but, but listen to the ways that this fragments the soul when we don't love anything enough to get off our duff and do anything about anything. Right? That's what the sin is about. Insufficient love for anything, and particularly for God. And because we don't love God enough and aren't loved by God enough, that's not his problem, that's our problem. We don't love ourselves enough. And notice how that works its toxic way out in our relationships. Failure of commitment. Failure of integrity. Failure of real relationship. Because to do real relationship requires risk. And the sin of sloth disables risk. We're not going to take the chance. We're going to pass by a possible good opportunity for the safety and security of an increasingly shrinking world that becomes more and more and more safe and tamed. You see? That's how it works. How many, do, do, do you recognize that uh, in, in other people? Yeah. Me too. So we begin, uh, we begin with Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, kind of the framing text for our, our, our text this morning. Uh, the text says, For everybody has sinned and has fallen short. Oh, by the way, if you need Bibles, I'm sorry, I should have done this sooner. Anybody need one that didn't have, uh, bring one in? Uh, we've got some around the corner. We've got a few up here. Thanks, Mickey and uh, guys. Alan, thanks. Uh, anybody else? We've got one up here, a uh, couple up here, uh, Mickey. Thanks, man. Anybody else need one? Uh, cool. Uh, feel free to make use of that and, 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 and uh, make it your own kind of thing. It's important that, that you have and bring a Bible every week because one of the things that you're going to hear every Sunday, uh, more or less, is somebody just open the text and unpacking what it means. So here we are, uh, Romans chapter um, 3, verse 23. Here we are, right? Not so much. Okay. Um, if you're looking at it, Romans is about halfway through the New Testament, uh, about a third of the way through, and we're picking it up in the middle of the sentence uh, using this translation, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember what we were saying this about this last week. We sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. In other words, sin is not first a behavioral problem. That once we deal with the behavior, counting to ten, uh, you know, restricting behaviors, we will have dealt with sin. No, sin erupts from a fountain of character. And until we have addressed the character issue, the behavior will still flow from it. You with me? So, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Remember what I just suggested, that the glory of God is you. You are the image of God. You are the way in which God intends himself to be seen, revealed, understood on the planet. 
So when we sin, we fall short of what God intended for us. It is literally a denial, as Darren said a couple of weeks ago, of your essential self. That God has created you to be his image. And when we choose other, it is a denial of who we really are. We fall short in that way of the glory of God. You with me? Now, what's God doing about it? Next slide. Uh, gets us to that, uh, verse 24. He is, uh, being, he is justifying us, however, freely through his grace, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Because the fact of the matter is there is nothing you can do about it. If you're familiar with electronics imagery, which nobody is, so this is the nerd side of me coming out, a diode is a semiconductor that allows electric current to flow one way but refuses to allow it to flow the other way. Sin is like that. It is a diode that we go through and are unable to come back. The only way we can have our sin as character and behavior dealt with is through the blood and through the cross and through the work of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. If he doesn't come to us, we're screwed. We can't go to him. And that's what that verse says. We are now being justified, put in a position that is just as if I had never sinned. Justified means that. By the grace of God, by his unmerited favor through the redemption. So, uh, in the middle of all of this, what we're talking about this this morning, this sin uh, uh, of insufficient love, this sloth, this, this, this cluster of, of, of attitudes and behaviors that, that disables real engagement, that disables traction, on anything important, um, we're, we're going to uh, look at a few texts that, that, that uh, unpack this. Um, there are a series of them. Most of them come from the wisdom literature. So I'm just going to, I want you to notice how the, this is not something we have invented in the postmodern culture. This is something that has plagued us since the beginning of time. Look at how the ancient wisdom writer, let's go ahead with the first one, uh, Gabriel, please. Uh, the slug, this is from Proverbs chapter 26. The sluggard, which is the Old Testament language for sloth, right? Sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. So, why doesn't he get out of bed in the morning? Because the fear of potential threat. You hear what he's saying? I can't leave. I can't go out of my house. There might be, there might be, there could be, there may be, right? So... There's a lion in the road, the fierce lion roaming the streets as a door, I love this image, turns on its hinges so a sluggard turns on his bed. Isn't that a great image? The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but he's too lazy to bring it to his own mouth. The sluggard is wiser, and here's the deal, in his own eyes than seven men who can answer discreetly. Here's the next thing, and this is where it becomes toxic. Go ahead. The sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. He has the same desires, the same cravings, the same appetites, the same longings as everybody else, but not enough to get off of the couch and do anything about it. So his desires will be the death of him. 
Do you see how this works itself out? Look at the next one here. The sluggard, uh, and, and here's, here's part of this next thing. The sluggard does not plow in season. As a result, at harvest time, he looks for the crop, but finds nothing. He discovers, discovers the negative side of the, of, the, of the rule. If you sow, you reap. If you don't sow, you, you don't reap. Uh, duh. But the sluggard looks at this like, nobody told me. Why didn't somebody tell me this? Why didn't somebody warn me? Right? Next one. We go on to this next one. The sluggard, bar- oh, we've already talked about that one, buries his hand in the dish but will not even bring it to his own mouth. So the next one again. And here's the question. Oh, wait a minute. Back it up one. I, I gave you the wrong one. Proverbs 6, 9 says, How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? So, sitting with these, uh, go to the blank slide for a sec. Uh, it arises out, um, we see characterized these, in these verses here, kind of the essence of what we're dealing with in this uh, deadly sin. It arises out of insufficient love for anything, but mostly love for God that results in inadequate love for self. And here's where this becomes problematic. We are called, Jesus said, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So this, the love of self is the bridge between love of God and love of neighbor. If we don't love ourself as God loves us, we will do harm to our neighbor. Right? Do you see how that works? So there is this this, this, this failure to allow ourselves to be deeply loved by God and to love Him in return, and it has tragic consequences uh, uh, in, in terms of disconnection from, from the neighbor. Traveling under the guise of self-protection, of safety. Sloth is the bicycle helmet of the seven deadly sins. It is the seatbelt law. It is, it, is, it is the sumo wrestler suit of the seven deadly sins. I, if I protect myself well enough, I will never be hurt. Right? Okay. You guys are all looking at me like, I never thought of that that way. Okay. Uh, it denies, it, 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 and, and please notice what it does. Ultimately, it denies the soul's unique place between the material and the spiritual worlds. The soul, remember, dust of the earth, breath of God, we are built to live in that thin space in between. We are built for adventure. We are built to sail the high seas of life. We are not built for the safety of the harbor. As safe as it is in there, we're not built for that. You with me? Like a thoroughbred is, is bred to run and dies without that. We are built for adventure and die without it. And the seven deadly sin says, oh, you might get hurt. You see? And it disables us. What if somebody misunderstands your passion? What if, what if somebody laughs at you? What if you lose it all? Who's going to take care of you then? Do you, do you hear how this bubbles up? And, and then we'll talk about what happens to it. 
So it appears as negligence, apathy, despondency, hopelessness, half-heartedness, avoidance of then of responsibility and necessity. What happens then when love is insufficient? Because we are built for adventure, we will find a way to fill in the spaces that our life does not provide us with adventure. How do we do that? Primarily with addictive behaviors. Addiction is the number one way we deal and find ourselves expressing this sin of sloth. Now, please, when I say addictions, we all go to, you know, the kind of the, the major ones that we're aware of, alcohol and drugs and sexual addictions and so on and so forth. And while those are troublesome and problematic, I've got to be honest with you, those aren't the real big deal. You know what the real big deal is in me and for us? And, and please, like I said last week, this is not about me telling you. This is about us looking in the mirror together. Playing it safe is the biggest addiction of all. But because we're built for adventure, what do we do? We hide. We hide in our work. We hide in our religion. We hide most especially in this culture, in media and entertainment. We are literally entertaining ourselves to death, in the words of Neil Postman. Entertaining ourselves to death. Notice... You have 24 hours every day. If you don't fill it with life, what are you going to fill it with? You're going to fill it with an avatar. A pretense of life. What does that look like? Anything that brings us pleasure and excitement without responsibility. Can you say pornography? Can you say World of Warcraft? Oop, got there. I've got to be careful now. <laughs> Those are nasty people. No. Um, I'm not sure I can. Yeah, uh, anybody remember what I said? The podcast will be posted on Wednesday. Uh, here's, here, here's the deal. We, we have 24 hours, right? We are going to live those 24 hours one way or the other. If we don't fill them with life, we will fill them with something that resembles life. We will fill them with an avatar. We will fill them with a symbol. We will fill them with some kind, some form of... Why do you think, why do you think um, uh, we, we, are, we are so excited at mind-numbing ways of wasting time? Just think about this for a minute. We can't, literally cannot, sit still and be present to God, be present to ourselves, be present to other people. Some of us, I, now, in a, in a, to be honest with you, I'm an, I'm an old guy. So I don't get Facebook. I don't get Twitter. I, I'm on Facebook. I'm, I'm closing in on a thousand friends. <laughs> right? Anybody want to friend me and put me over the top? That'd be really cool. <laughs> but who has time for Farmville? Who has time? I, I tell you what, let them, let them burn in the fields. I'm just saying. You, you, you know, I don't need help putting up a barn. Leave the thing down. We'll be all right. And, and, and we were thinking, 
Because, you know, you get those, I hate this new Facebook thing. Don't anybody else with it? It's like you got to choose between the, the top news. How do they decide this? And the most recent news. And when I go on the most recent thing, I've got people on there who are my friends who've got to be spending like their lifetime in an artificial reality. You with me? And, and they're, doing, they're doing Bejeweled and they're doing all of the games and they're doing the thing here and, 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 and collecting and mafia and all. It's just, time, time out. When do you eat? <laughs> right? And, 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 and please don't, don't misunderstand me. I love Facebook because of the way it allows me to connect with people. I, I have friends that I went to college with um, that, that I've been able to restore connections with. So I, I get all that. But when social media becomes life, somebody loses. That's the sin of sloth that says, I would rather experience an artificial life in front of a computer screen than go out and shoot baskets in the backyard with a friend. And it is literally an addictive process. It's addictive. Because now you can get Facebook updates pushed to your phone. And you can twit, or tweet, I mean not twit, twit probably is accurate too. You, you can tweet and that shows up, right? I don't really need to know that you're heading over to Chipotle. I really don't need to know that. I, re I really, you know, I, you'll be okay on your own, I'm sure. You, you, you know, you, you, you know, and it's like, ah, do you have time? And here's the deal. All of the updating means you don't live. But it creates the illusion that you're living. Why? Because you're filling in 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year until you die. Here's the problem with sloth. You will be dead long before your body quits. You will not have had a new thought. You will have not had a new experience. You will have not had a new joy. You will have not had a new pain. You will have had nothing to increase your capacity for life. And life will have closed in on you until it suffocates you and your body just keeps on going, kept alive by the health care plan that will be voted on today. Can that happen? Not only can it, friends, it is happening. I have kids from Vanguard sit in my office, and because uh, my desk has a little bit of an overlap, they don't think that I can see them texting with one thumb, with their phone in their pocket, while they're talking to me. <laughs> do you know that you cannot multitask? Anybody know that? You can't do it. Here's, here's, what, here's what happens. Here's what happens. And this, is, this, this will become relevant. I'm not just ranting. But here's what happens. You know, you know, computers have, have, for the last probably 20 years or so, uh, promoted themselves as being able to multitask, do two or three things at once. The, the, the iPhone and, and, and the Droid and all those new, you know, have more computing power in the palm of your hand than the early computers 20, 25 years ago. So when, when, when multitasking first became... Uh, you know, on the scene, and, and this is significant. I can have Microsoft Word open and whatever else, right? They don't multitask. They do one thing at a time, and then they do another thing at a time, but they do it so quickly that you think 
they're doing them both at the same time. They're not. They're doing them one right after the other in rapid order fashion. Your brain works the same way. You, you've, I mean, the, 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 the cell phone laws have demonstrated this with driving. The problem is not holding the phone. The problem is the part of your brain that's required to drive and the part of your brain that's required to talk and think and listen disable one another temporarily. Right? So, so all you can do while the cell phone's attached to your ear via Bluetooth is aim at 75 miles an hour. Right? It's like, it's like being under, it's, it's like being under, what is it, 0 0.8. You're over top, you're over the limit. And it's not the headset issue. It is, it is that your brain does one thing at a time. And, and it moves very, very quickly. So it creates the illusion, no, I can do five things at once. No, you can't. You can do one thing, and then another thing, and then another thing. And here's the problem. At the end of the day, you never do anything. We're doing 83 things at once. No, you're not doing anything at once. And, it, and, and notice what happens to relationships. Notice how terrified we are. Because as you've invested in pleasure and excitement, if those are the goal rather than the byproduct of real relationships, their capacity, whether it's sexual or in some other form, their capacity is satisfied, diminishes. The law of diminishing returns kicks in. And so you have to find a new way to re-adrenalinize the charge, right? If it's not connected to real relationship, it becomes more and more and more disabled, so you have to find new, more, bigger, faster, more powerful to get the same response. Because we're not built for pleasure as a goal. We're built for pleasure as a byproduct of a life well lived. And Sloth says, no, living that way is way too risky. If I can give you the same pleasure without the risk, would you buy it? And here's the deal. This is the shell game. Because no pleasure comes without risk. You either pay before or you pay after, but you're going to pay for the excitement you get. Do you, see, do you see how that works? So look at this. We hide in mind-numbing ways of wasting times, uh, uh, drugs and, 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 and alcohol and media. And, and what ends up happening is that we just have just, and, and please again, bear with me, one damn thing after another. We don't live anything with meaning. It's just the serial existence. And then we go to bed at night exhausted without a clue what we did that day. That's what sloth ultimately produces. You can understand why Gregory included it in the dynamic. Here's, here's how it works itself out. We overpromise and underdeliver. Because the desire is there, right? We can get our hand in the dish, we just can't bring it to our mouth, so we starve to death. We make a commitment, we make a promise, but then somebody else comes along with a better deal. Right? We're just terrified to say, on Thursday next week, I will be someplace at 11.30. Because what if somebody that I really would like to spend more time with calls and wants to do something coffee at 10.30? I can't quite swing. So, you know what? I'll call. 
I have kids leaving classrooms, phoning their friends who they are going to meet across the campus at the library. Why can't you just say, at noon, I will meet you at the library? Because something better might come up. You see how that works? And Sloth is the one that says, we don't really live really well. And, and, and I wish I could say, I never do that same thing myself. So again, this is mirror time for me, right? Uh, it's the terror of commitment. It's the terror of saying to one person for a lifetime, I am going to choose to love you. I'm not always going to feel love for you, but I'm going to choose to love you anyway. But what if I don't, what if I fall in love with somebody else? Guaranteed you will. Guaranteed. You will find your soulmate after having been married to somebody else for five or six years. Guaranteed. Now what are you going to do? Ignore the soulmate. You're married to somebody else. That's un-American. <laughs> you're right, it is. So you've got to decide if you're going to be first an American or first a citizen of the kingdom of God. Because a citizen of the kingdom of God swears to his hurt and keeps his promise. The sin of sloth says, you know what? Nobody, you didn't know. You just didn't know. Nobody can expect you to make a life-binding commitment with the kind of information you had at the time. That's why we want to talk about love. You see what happens when love is insufficient? We're afraid to feel anything deeply. We get embarrassed when we cry at the movies. Oh, I want to be able to cry at Kodak commercials. I want to be able to stand in, in Target and read a Hallmark card and just have some place in me touched at a deep level. And we're saying, that's just so whatever it is. Let it be. I, want to, I, I don't want to pass through life taking pictures of the signs that point to wonder. You know what I mean? Have I told you the story of my family? My, I haven't. Let me, let me tell you this. I'm originally, my, my, my grandparents are originally from Holland. So I have huge numbers of my family there. And, and at one time, uh, they, they decided to come. I'm originally from Canada to, Western, to Eastern Canada to rent an RV and make a round-trip tour of, the United, of North America, literally, of, of the United States they were going to, they were going to go, drive down south through the United States, right, and then back up the coast and drive across Canada, seeing relatives and seeing the wonders of... Now, I don't know if any of you are, are aware, but uh, most of you, I think, are, are, are... You see the map of Europe and you realize those are tiny little countries. You can drive in and out of Holland in a day. So this is the mentality as they flew over on a three-week tour of North America, rented an RV in Toronto, and headed down south to the King's House, to Nashville, because everybody's got to go to Graceland, right? So doing that, and then, and so they're, oh, this is so beautiful, and the colors, and pictures, and the water, oh, wonderful, oh, there's, you know, old Memphis, and then down in New Orleans, and and then they realize, this is one big honking country. We are not going to make this. 
So they start to boogie on down the road, right? Boy, grandkids, we don't have time for the grandkids. They stopped the RV, got out of the RV, and took a picture of the sign that said Grand Canyon. <laughs> got in the RV and kept on trucking. Now, now here's, 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 here's the deal. Sloth says that's good enough. If you just get a picture of a sign that says wonder, that's okay. Do you see how this infiltrates our souls? We, we, we can't allow ourselves to feel anything deeply because that might promote a commitment. We can't allow ourselves to make a life-binding commitment to anybody. So we live a life of excuses rationalizations, justifications of why we can't or shouldn't or couldn't or didn't. We, we have an over-reliance then on our gifts and our talents and our abilities to do something. This is where the sin, for me, and it's, it is a, it, it, whether it's a characteristic or whatever, it embodies itself for me as a, as a perfectionist. This is where my perfectionism comes in. Because I'm terrified to do anything to the best of my ability with the fear and the certain knowledge that it won't be Good enough, which is why I procrastinate. Procrastination is one of the ways that sloth manifests itself. Because if I procrastinate as a perfectionist, I have a built-in reason for not doing perfect. Do you see how this works? And, 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 and I'm dealing with kids all the time, and many, many of you maybe fit into the category. You're just so stinking smart that you've been able to sail through this wonderful California educational system without having to do anything that stretches your brain a bit. You get into college and you realize, holy cow, i got to read a book. God, help me. How do I do that? Right? And we don't, and, and by the way, this isn't just college phenomena. Did you know that the average graduate with a bachelor's degree does not read another book? 75% do not read another book other than a novel another book for the rest of their lives. You have just wasted four years and $100,000 of your life. But sloth does that. You don't need to know what you think. You already know what you think. Just read magazines. Just get your news off the Internet. Just, 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 just. It's passionless, half-hearted, play-it-safe involvement in everything of life. Our worship is half-hearted. Our passionate following of Jesus is half-hearted. Our relationships are half-hearted. Our intellectual development is half-hearted. We have a calculated, self-protective, self-destructive laziness. You can see why Gregory said, this is a killer. This is a killer. Because the enemy does not care. And you have an enemy. He really does not care if you don't care. Yeah? The outcomes, loneliness, because I can't make a whole person commitment to anybody. My world shrinks. It's limited to the world I can safely control. How many of you have discovered the world you can control is very tiny? But the illusion that I can control it is very large. All right? Fear-driven avoidance of your own life. There's a debilitating sense of entitlement. Life owes me. I will wait for it to pay me. 
a sense of victimization. I'm helpless. I'm a victim of my own life circumstances. Right? Can I ask you a question? What would it look like to love much? What would it look like? How would you live if you knew that the king and creator of the universe loved you with a passion that lit his eyes up when you came into the room? Can you let yourself be loved that extravagantly? And what would that produce in your heart? Paul gives us a clue on this. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. I want to talk in the last few minutes here about pushing back against sloth. Um, he says, um, uh, just picking it up on halfway through the screen there, he says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Go ahead. Therefore, be careful how you walk, how you live. Make the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. So then, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine. Do you see what happens? If you don't make the most of every opportunity, you're going to self-soothe. That's what Paul's saying here. That leads to debauchery. That's a, a, a difficult word, but it literally means uh, unsalvation. If you pursue that road, if you pursue that road, you get off track, right? Instead, be being filled with the Spirit. Um, and we'll just leave it at that one for now. So how do we push back against law? One, worship. Enter with thanksgiving into the majesty of Creator God. Somehow find a way to jumpstart your heart with wonder. Find a way to lift up, magnify, adore, and glorify the God who is the King and Creator of the universe. Don't let worship at any time pass you by while you watch. That's like taking a picture of the sign that says Grand Canyon. Plug your heart in to grace, majesty, glory, wonder. Let it begin to surge with the rhythms that you were built for. Get some blood flowing in your own sense of self and your heart. Equip your mind, equip your body, equip your soul for wonder. This is going to mean getting off of the couch and getting to the gym. Okay. Um, it, 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 why do I say that? Because sloth affects us physically. The same. If I can lose weight with a pill, why should I go to the gym? And here's the deal. I have a membership at the gym. I have discovered, however, that the membership is not adequate. You actually have to go. Who knew? That, that was not in the fine print, right? The same thing occurs when, when, when Mickey or Brian or any of our other worship leaders worship, lead us in worship. They ought to say on a Sunday morning, all right, brothers and sisters of the saints of the living God, ready, set, go! And this place can erupt in wonder. You, you, you see what I mean? Now, I have to discipline my heart for that. I have to train my heart for that. I have to train my heart in wonder. That's why I just love the Discovery Channel, right? Everybody should buy Planet Earth on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever it is you want, right? Everybody should go get the wonder of life, something that just makes your, your, your jaw drop and you just, 
<sighs> now don't listen to Oprah. Don't listen to Attenborough. Just listen, listen to the voice of the Spirit of God that just says, I'm proud of that. I did a pretty good job with that whale, didn't I? Look at that. Isn't that amazing? Look at that cave. Nobody's been there for like tens of fifteens and thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. But hey, look. Enjoy. I've created animals, the Father says, just to play in the ocean. Can you imagine a God who's like that? Can you imagine that God coming out and knocking on your door and saying, can, can you come out and play? Will you come out and play with me? We have a playful God. We have a playful God. Take courage in the face of paralyzing fear. You will never not be afraid unless love has driven out fear. So while that's happening, courage is required. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Courage is not no fear. Courage is standing course even though I'm afraid. Right? Uh, take pain when it comes your way. Don't try and avoid it. Don't seek it out. But if, if life sends you pain, square your stance and lean in. Let it have its work. You will discover you're bigger than your pain. You will discover that pain has the capacity to increase your heart for Christ-likeness. Increase your capacity for the fullness of God. Choose to love. Choose to risk uh, loving. Uh, you, you, you can moderate, you can balance the risk, and I think that's probably smart. But, so don't love stupidly, but love courageously. Right? Rejoice often. Go back regularly to the deep center of joy and, and, and drink deeply. Be being filled with the Spirit. He is the very spice, the very Spirit, the very source of life. So here's what Paul says back there on, on that passage again. I'm just going to read through it very, very quickly. This is why Paul says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine. That's dissipation but be, being filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear what he just said there? Always giving thanks in all things. That is the best way to push back against sloth. Because you're built for life. Anybody ready to say, bring it on? Right? You with me? So Mickey's going to come, and we're going to we're going to we're going to worship. We're going to celebrate. But I want you to take some time somewhere in the course of this to say, Lord Jesus, is this me in the mirror? Where have I disabled my life because I'm terrified? Where have I been so afraid to risk in a relationship, or so afraid to risk? Um, uh, and, and the bottom line is, Father, I haven't trusted you. I haven't believed you love me enough that you have my back. I haven't believed it. You see? Let's pray together. Father, as we sit in this stillness for just a moment before we respond in worship, I pray that you would help us. Oh, God, search our hearts. This is just so um, apropos to where I am right now, Lord, and so I just pray for myself. Oh, God, please search my heart. 
Search my life. Search my, 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 the, the ways of terror in me. Find, oh God, those places where I'm afraid of the dark, so much so that I become afraid of the light. Oh God, please, 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 let me hear your voice inviting me, inviting us to come out and play, to come out from hiding, to come out from the safety and security of nothing to this high seas adventure that we are built to live. Oh God, please, help us, help us, help us to live the way you built us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. I cultivate Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from the garden, or would like to find out more about the Garden Church, please visit us on the web at thegardenlb.org. Well